Thank you, Brother Terry. Thank our praise team. And thank all of you for worshiping this morning. And uh, it's a joy to be here and joy to worship. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to the book of Philippians. I want to look at Philippians chapter 2 and also Matthew chapter 1. And this morning I want to share with you a sermon that I've just simply entitled, Why Jesus Became a Man. Why Jesus Became a Man. We're going to look at several passages, and some uh, I'll just quote, and you jot the verse down, and others uh, be on the screen. But uh, we want to look at why Jesus became a man. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll read verse 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, some translations said like God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. Some translations have made in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance, some say fashion, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. May we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity we've had to come together with you. I pray for each person who is here this morning, those who are viewing by other means. We pray, Lord, now that you will speak to us through your word. Allow your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, our guide. Help us to understand your word. Help us to see the significance of your humanity. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in. Speak to our hearts, and we, may we be willing to step forward and make life-changing decisions today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When Jesus, or why Jesus became a man. Now, there are two phrases in the passage that I want to call your attention to, found in verse 7 and 8. Two expressions. Made in the likeness of man, are coming in the likeness of man, depending on your translation, and being found in the fashion as a man, or being found in the appearance as a man. Now there's a difference between the virgin birth of Jesus and the incarnation of Jesus. The virgin birth involves the miraculous act of God whereby the Lord was conceived without man. The Lord was conceived without man in the body, should say, of a young virgin girl named Mary. Matthew 1, verse 18 alludes to that. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Let's look at that just a moment. Matthew 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. 
after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So you have the virgin birth and you have the incarnation. The virgin birth involves the miraculous act of God whereby the Lord was conceived without man in the body of a pure virgin girl by the name of Mary. The incarnation is the divine act of God whereby Jesus was manifest in human flesh. Now John 1 verse 14 says this. John 1 14, familiar passage. John 1 14, and the word became flesh, incarnation. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Virgin, virgin birth, incarnation. Also, um, uh, 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. The Bible says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Who was? God was. Jesus was. You see the divinity of Jesus and how Jesus and God are one? The point is, if you attack the virgin birth, if one attacks the virgin birth, one also attacks the incarnation. Uh, it, it's not uncommon for both to be attacked today. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Listen to God's word. <clears throat> Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now what's the sign? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The sign is not a baby boy will be born. They were being born every day. But the sign simply is a virgin who had never known a man is going to have a baby boy. Now, there are three general names of Jesus. He's spoken of as, number one, you need to remember this, he's spoken of as the son of David. He had a Jewish home. That's, he had a Jewish name. Uh, that was his racial name, son of David. That was his racial name. He was from the tribe of Judah. Uh, he was from the family of David. He was a Jew. And so through the Bible, you'll find he's referred to as the son of David. That's his racial name. That's his Jewish name, reference. He's referred to, secondly, as the son of God. That's his divine name. Son of David, son of God. Then Jesus is called the Son of Man. Eighty times in the Word of God, you'll find where He's referred to as the Son of Man. Now, what I want you to do this morning, I want you to think about Jesus as the Son of Man. Think of Jesus Christ as a man. Think of Him as a man. Jesus Christ in a human body. Think of Him in a human body like yours, or uh, a human body like mine. So the point is, Jesus was perfect, he was divine, but he had this human body. 
Hebrews chapter 2. Listen to verse 14. Insomuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he, who, he himself likewise shared in the same flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, and that is the devil. Just like we have flesh and blood, he had flesh and blood. Oftentimes in the scripture, Jesus was called a man. Now you remember in John 4, verse 29, there's this woman at the well, and Jesus confronts her and begins to tell her about her life. And she goes out in the community, and she says this in John 3, 14 and 15. She says, come, or in John 4, 29, she says, come see a man that's told me everything about myself. Referred to as a man. John three fourteen and 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. In Luke nineteen ten, to Zacchaeus, told Zacchaeus to come down. He was going to his house. And then he told Zacchaeus, he says, For the Son of Man is, to, is come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Son of Man. Matthew 12, 40, Matthew 24, 37, and 44. The Bible says, For such an hour as you think not, what? The Son of Man cometh. So 80 times referred to in the Bible as the Son of Man. So here's the question. Why is that important? Why is Jesus coming as the Son of Man, being born of a virgin in Bethlehem, human flesh and blood, why is that important? I was reminded about a little boy. His mother was telling him to go to bed, and it was a dark room, and he said, I don't want to go. It's dark in there. And she said, well, the Lord's with you. And he said, I don't want to go. It's dark. She said, the Lord's with you. He says, I want somebody with skin on. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did. He came in visible form. He humbled himself, lived on the earth in the fashion of a man. Now, why was it necessary for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the member of the Trinity, from the very beginning, preexistent with God, eternally existing as the Son of God, why must he become a man? Number one, if you're taking notes. He became a man that he might subject himself to the limitations of the human body. He became a man that he might subject himself to the limitations of the human body. Did you know Jesus knew what it was to subject himself to fatigue? He got tired. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who created the universe and everything in it, all that was made... Yet, he became tired. Mark 4, Jesus is in a boat. You remember this? He'd worked all day, gets in the boat with his disciples, kind of heads back to the back of the boat, and the disciples are up front. Storm came up, and they said, where's Jesus? And you know where he was? He was asleep and had his head on a pillow. He was tired. The storm was coming. He was asleep on the pillow. The point is the Son of God was tired from laboring, from ministering, from speaking, from loving, from weeping. His body became worn out. 
His body was subject to fatigue. But secondly, his body was subject to hunger. Mark 11, verse 12, he just simply said he was hungry. I'm hungry. Third, his body was subject to thirst. At times he craved water. Remember the woman at the well, what he said, give me a drink. He was thirsty. But then on the cross, as he was being crucified, he said what? I thirst. So Jesus, Jesus was subject to thirst. But then he was subject to deprivation. Matthew 8 verse 20 said this. Said, foxes have hoes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He had no home. John 7 verse 53. The Bible says, every man went into his house and Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. He had no house to go to. He suffered deprivation. He had no home, had no house. We would say today, he was homeless. He was homeless. He knew what homelessness was about. You remember 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Paul quotes Jesus, and he says, Take, take, eat, this is my body, which was given or broken for you. This is my body which was broken for you. Interesting thing, in the original manuscript, the word broken or given is not found. In the original, it just simply says this. This is my body for you. For you. The point is, my body is for you. Jesus took a body for you. Now, why did he do that? That was God's way for Christ to be revealed and manifest in a human body, subjected to all limitations of the human body. And he did it for you. He was made in the likeness of man, Philippians 2.8. Secondly, he was made in the likeness of man to subject himself to man's sins. To subject himself to man's sins. He became a man to assume the penalty of our sins. Romans 6.23, you know it. The wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18.4. The soul that sinneth it shall die. So you and I have sinned, and the penalty of sin is spiritual death, meaning to be cut off from God, separated from God. A spiritual death. Cut off from God, separated from God. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 3, Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. But there's more to that. Look, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to read verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now here's the point. God made Jesus a sin offering. Listen, God made him in the form of a man that we might be made the righteousness of God 
in Him. Have you ever wondered, did Jesus as a man ever identify Himself with our sins? Did he ever identify himself with our sins? Have you ever read Matthew 27, 46, when Jesus is on the cross dying, and he cried out, lifted his head, and he said this, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My God, my God. Jesus had never referred to the Father with those words. He always called him Father. Never referred to him as my God before. So why now? Well, in Psalm 22, that an the question's answered. Look at Psalm 22. It should be on the screen. Psalm 22, verse 1, and begins by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, O oh God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, that's when he was on the cross. And I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Verse 3 is the answer. Why did he cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The answer is, but you're holy. And O thou that inhabit the praises of Israel. Did you hear that? That is why God turned his face away from Jesus. That's why he turned his face away and Jesus became a sin offering on the cross. Habakkuk 1 verse 3 says this. Just listen. Habakkuk 1 verse 3 or verse 13. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil, and cannot look on wickedness. Thou art purer eyes than to behold evil, and cannot look on wickedness. Here's the point. When Jesus was identified with your sins and my sins, God the Father turned his face from Jesus. That's when he identified. No wonder it got dark. No wonder the sun refused to shine. No wonder Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Your eyes are too pure, Psalm 22, to look on holiness. Your sin and my sin were upon him. So in that crucial hour when the Son of Man was lifted up, that he might redeem us from our sins, he became a man that he might be subject to man's sins. Now why? That we might be made the righteousness of God. That's why. Number three, why Jesus became a man, and I'll close with this. Jesus became a man that he might subject himself to man's death and the grave. Now, all men, and I say that genetically, men and women, all men except one generation of Christians who, who live when Jesus comes, who are alive when Jesus comes, are subject to death. They've all died. 
From the time of Adam and Eve until now, no one has escaped death. We don't get far in the book of Genesis until we start hearing, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Chapter 5 of Genesis. Don't get very far and you start hearing that. Some lived nearly a thousand years. Methuselah lived 969, but he died. He died. So the point is, if Jesus tarries, and I, I hope he doesn't, I hope he comes any time, I don't, I don't think he's going to tarry, but if he does tarry, let this soak in, that every man and woman and boy and girl must cross from here to eternity. Everyone must. Everyone must. Even Jesus had a grave. Even Jesus went to the grave. And Isaiah 53, 9 says it this way, and he made his grave with the wicked. Remember those two thieves? And with the rich. Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus? And Joseph of Arimathea and with the rich in his death. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And did you know it was 700 years before Jesus ever came to Bethlehem's manger and was born there in Bethlehem. 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and Isaiah 53, 9 says he will have a grave. He is to know what it means to be buried. He is to know like all men know what it is to die in the human body. Isaiah 53 verse 9 declared that all 700 years till he was born. And then you know what happened? It came to pass. He is to taste, Isaiah said, and experience death. That's why he became a man. As a believer, never think of death without thinking about our victory over death. As I close, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 55. Paul said, O death, where is your sting? O grave or Hades, where is your victory? Paul shouts a victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The point is Christ has taken the sting out of death and he's given victory over the grave. Why is that? Because he became a man and he died like all men do. But I, I want you to thank God this morning that there has been one that went to the grave before me. I thank God there's one that went to the grave before me, and that was Jesus.
and I love him. He loves me with this eternal and everlasting love. And he has walked that way, and he's left kindly a light on, so to speak, for me when I go that way. He was made a man that he might know what it means to die. little girl was helping her mother with a flower bed. And there were bees all around. And she kept swatting after those bees. And her mother said, they won't sting you. They won't sting you. They won't sting you. And she was afraid. She was in tears that a bee was going to sting her. And her mother kindly brushed her own arm like this. And she said, it won't hurt if that bee lights on you because you see that bee has already stung me and it's left a stinger in my arm. When I hear Paul cries, cry, O death, where's your sting? O grave, where's your victory? As a believer, I thank God that I can say, O death, where's your sting? O grave, where's your victory? It's in the body, the human body of the Son of God. That's where the sting of death is. Never let the devil blind you to the truth. There is triumph and victory over death and the grave. And when we move from here, we change addresses and we go to there. One day, we're going to move out of this old tent and we're going to an eternal home in heaven made by God. He was made in the likeness of man to be subject to the limitations of the human body, to be subject or to subject himself to man's sins and then to subject himself to man's death and man's grave. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what we've learned this morning. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world in the flesh and blood. Thank you that you manifested yourself in Jesus Christ here on this earth. Thank you that he was willing to suffer the limitations that we have in a human body. Thank you that he was able to subject himself to our sins and died on the cross while you turned your face away. And he suffered for our sins. Thank you, Lord, that he subjected himself to man's death and also the grave. But there's no sting in death, and there's no, and there's victory in the grave. We thank you for that. Thank you for sending Jesus in a man's body, in the flesh and blood. Lord, he, he knows exactly. You then knows now exactly what we go through. And I know he's a sympathetic, sympathizing, sympathizing Savior. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and understanding us. Thank you for being here on this earth for the short time you were. And Lord, thank you for loving us and our sinful condition dying on the cross for us. We can have eternal life. Help us to celebrate Christmas 
that Jesus Christ, the divine, came and took on the form of mankind to manifest God upon this world, upon this earth. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do during this time. In Jesus' name, amen.